corporate confession of our sin makes our time of worship more authentic and more joyful, for it strikes a blow against self-righteousness and humbles us before God and helps us to say what we know to be true of ourselves. It reminds us that we are not better than others and that it is only by grace, through the covenant of Christ's blood, that we are saved and have right standing before God so that he does not treat us as our sins deserve. So let us confess together. Merciful God, you pardon all who truly repent and turn to you. We humbly confess our sins and ask your mercy. We have not loved you with a pure heart, nor have we loved our neighbor as ourselves. We have not done justice, loved kindness, or walked humbly with you, our God. Have mercy on us, O God, in your loving kindness. In your great compassion, cleanse us from our sin. Create in us a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within us. Do not cast us from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from us. Restore to us the joy of your salvation and sustain us with your bountiful spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. I declare that by the grace of Jesus Christ, our sins are forgiven, and God in his infinite mercy has removed them as far away from us as the east is from the west. Friends, believe the good news of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. now with believers down through the ages, let us state what we believe using the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let us now, in the love of Christ, turn and greet our neighbors.
Good morning. Welcome to worship here at Church of the Palms. Today is kickoff Sunday. This is the chance when uh, we gather everybody together as a church family to begin our fall season. Lots of things are going on this morning and we hope that you will avail yourselves of all of them if possible. We uh, first invite you to fill out the friendship pads which are in the pew and pass those along to your neighbor and note those folks who are sitting near you. Maybe you can make a personal invitation to them to join you afterwards, not just for a quick cup of coffee underneath the table, but uh, today we empty out the campus center and uh, fill it up with all the uh, opportunities that lie in store for you for this fall season, classes and service opportunities and all sorts of great things that are there. So please uh, take advantage of that. We would love to have you come over and be a part of that experience. We'll give you all the information about new classes that we're starting, starting not only uh, this Wednesday, but next Sunday. And so we hope that uh, you'll take advantage of that. Some things that aren't in the bulletin will be over there. So you'll be fully informed when you go over to the campus center. Where? Where? Okay, over there. So that's where we want you after our service this morning. You also have, will have the opportunity to sign up to be a tutor. Campus Center was filled yesterday with tutors who are signed up and getting ready to go to begin to impact the lives of children throughout our community. We would love to have you join us for that. Just one hour a week sitting with a student, helping them to figure out a little bit about their school subjects can, be, uh, can make a big difference in the child's life and can also be a way by which you can convey the love and grace of Jesus Christ in that particular time. So we hope that you'll uh, sign up for that. Judy would love to see you to be a part of that. And we have an early childhood center class that's beginning this Tuesday for parents of preschoolers and parents to come together. There's information about that in your bulletin as well. We will be having a, uh, a roast coming up here in a few weeks uh, of uh, John and Judy who are retiring. Uh, Judy's already retired, but we're bringing them back, bringing her back so we can give her one last poke before she leaves, uh, as well as uh, John Ferreira. And so uh, we hope that you'll sign up for that dinner and that's available in the church office as well as online. You can register for that great event on September the 27th. We wanna keep in our prayers the family of Jerry Conklin who passed away very suddenly this week. So keep Emily especially in your prayers as they mourn his loss. We uh, wanna invite Genevieve Beauchamp who is our uh, upcoming and new Minister of Music, Director of Music here at Church of the Palms to give us some information about uh, the filling out of the rest of our team. by thanking all of you for the warm welcome. My family and I feel it, and we're, we're so thankful to be here. We're finding ourselves feeling right at home. And once again, a big thank you to John Ferreira and his patience, his generous support, and his encouraging words. You might find John on the beach on Siesta Key starting in September, sipping some kind of pineapple juice. but the music needs to continue here in this beautiful place. Um, so my, my first task this summer was to fill two positions, uh, a newly created uh, position called a sanctuary coordinator, as well as finding an organist and a pianist. Um, I'm delighted to report that we have found both and that I couldn't have dreamed of being part of a better team. I'm pleased to announce to you that we're bringing in a terrific husband and wife team. Yoko Spivey, you can go ahead and stand up, 
will be our new sanctuary coordinator. Welcome, Yoko. She will be... She will be a point person for all you wonderful volunteers who serve in the sanctuary. When you see her walking towards you, we encourage you not to run away. In addition to helping here at Church of the Palms, Yoko is a wonderful mother of two great high schoolers, and she's a terrific cook, and she is also, um, she also, also has this little side job. She's the principal timpanist of the Sarasota Orchestra. <laughs> uh, many, many of you, I think, have seen her in action at the symphony. Uh, I know she'll be a wonderful servant here uh, at Church of the Palms. In addition, I have had the great pleasure of working for many, many years with her wonderful, gifted husband. On October 1st, Jonathan Spivey, also the principal pianist of the Sarasota Orchestra, will be joining us on what we hope will be a very exciting musical journey. The three of us look forward to serving here at Church of the Palms for many years to come. We hope that you will think about sharing your, your talents with us in the music building, whether it's volunteering or whether it's singing in the choirs or in the different ensembles we have. We look forward to this journey and we thank God for leading us into, in, into this great adventure. Welcome Yoko and thank you again everyone.
Let us pray. Loving and gracious God, we lift our hearts in praise to you. We thank you for the gift of life, for family and friends, for a world of beauty and wonder, for grace for our sins and hope for our hearts. We thank you, O God, for giving us Jesus in whom we receive our salvation and from whom we receive our call to serve you. Bless the ministries and people of this church as we kick off this school program and church program year today with the leadership of good old sage like John and new as Genevieve and Yoko. And grant that we may be strengthened as your faithful disciples here. We pray for those in need of your healing grace this day. Be with those who are in mourning Especially, we lift up Emily Conklin and her family as they bid farewell to Jerry. Hear our prayers for those caught in the violence in Syria. Grant those who lead the governments of the world wisdom in the decisions that they make each day. Be with and bless those who must walk in harm's way on behalf of us and be with those who are serving as missionaries around the world, we pray. Now we bring our prayers to you in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus, who taught us to pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now we continue to worship God in the giving of our offerings.
Let us pray. God of grace and God of glory, we give you thanks for your love that surrounds us at all times and your blessings that we received every moment of each day. We love you, O God, and we give you these offerings so that we may become better disciples and more disciples and more believers will be made through these offerings for we give them to you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Please be seated. And are our children here with Lori? Our children are here, indeed. They wouldn't miss it. There is a rock wall. There is a petting zoo. There's all kinds of great stuff, but nothing more great than the time we get to spend together and when we go up to kids' worship right after this, and then parents come pick them up quickly so that they can get out to all the festivities. Excellent. Good morning. How are you? Good morning. Good morning. Good to see you. Well, now that you guys have three weeks of school under your belt, I figured you're ready for a quiz. So here goes. I'm going to show you three different kinds of people, and there's only one word that I want you to say that might describe them all. First, let's say you had someone who served in the military for our country. It could be Army, Navy, Air Force, Marine, any of those. Or, second person, a firefighter. Think of something that would describe your firefighting friends. Oh, I haven't even given you the last one yet, Ryan. Good job. All right, my overachiever. Third, Nick Walenda. You know who that is? He, like, walked across the Grand Canyon. Now, crazy isn't the word I'm looking for here. So, one word to describe all three of these people. What do you think? Brave. Did you have it on the second one? Brave. That's right. So, courage is being brave, even if you might be a little bit afraid, even if you think you might not be ready. So, we're going to learn an important lesson about bravery today from a person in the Old Testament named Moses. Now remember, you have to pretend that I'm Moses just for a few moments. Remember, Moses first had God speaking to him from a burning bush, and God said, Moses, I want you to go to Pharaoh and tell him to set my people free. Remember, my people are slaves back in Egypt but I'm afraid, and I know I am not ready to go do this. So listen to this. God, who am I to go to Pharaoh and lead the Israelites out of Egypt? I'm just a shepherd. I can't do this alone. I will be with you. God, I wouldn't know what to say. I will give you words. God, I could never convince Pharaoh to listen to me. I will help you to perform miraculous signs. God, I, I don't speak very well. I'm a I will help you to speak and will teach you what to say. Please, God, please send somebody else. Moses, that's enough excuses. I wasn't asking you. I am telling you to go. Here's what I will do. I will send you your brother Aaron with you to do all of the talking. So you know what Moses did? Moses went to Egypt. 
even though he was afraid, even though he felt he wasn't quite ready. So here's what I want you to remember today. One important thing. Even when you are afraid, you can be brave because our God is bigger than anything that we might face. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, even though we don't feel ready sometimes, even though we feel a little bit afraid, please help us to be brave and remember, help us remember that you are always with us and that you are bigger than anything that we might face. Amen. Well, this morning we're continuing a sermon series on the Beatitudes of Jesus found in the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew's Sermon on the Mount, the fifth chapter. The first several verses are a list of blessings that Jesus invites us to consider as we consider this trip of a lifetime that we are on as we seek to follow our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So today we are in the second of those blessings or Beatitudes. And last week we took a look at blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Today we take a look at blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. A very timely beatitude, especially for Notre Dame fans. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. These, be these blessings and beatitudes 
are important for us to consider as we think about kicking off this Sunday with all the events and activities and classes that we have here at Church of the Palms. The, the big question mark is, what is it all for? What's the purpose behind all of what we're trying to do here within the church? And as we look at these blessings, we're seeking to understand Jesus' answer in several parts as to really what is the meaning and purpose of life and how is God really involved with us on the day-to-day. So today we take a look at this beatitude, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. And we look at John chapter four, beginning at the first verse. Hear the word of God. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard Jesus is making and baptizing more disciples than John, although it was not Jesus himself, but his disciples who baptized, he left Judea and started back to Galilee, but he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a Samaritan city called Sychar near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink, and would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you've got no bucket and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us the well and with his sons and the flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become, them, become for them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come back. The woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you're right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one who you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth for the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. Jesus said to her, I am he, the one who is speaking to you. This is the word of the Lord. 
Let us pray. By your grace and through your mercy, we ask, O God, that these words to come will point to this word just read and to this great blessing of Jesus. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. For we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 30 years ago, the senior pastor of a large and prominent church in New York City, the Riverside Church, stood before his congregation the Sunday following the death of his 24-year-old son in a car accident and preached a sermon. William Sloan Coffin did what few preachers would attempt to do the week after their son's death, not just preach, but to preach about the indescribable pain that such death visits upon a person, and in particular, a parent. Some of you know this pain. It is a fine sermon, and it's worth your Googling it when you get home. Alex's death is the title of the sermon. I read it for the first time as a seminarian, preparing myself to enter into the ministry of preaching, and when I read it, I realized what Dr. Coffin was attempting to do. He bravely stood before his people that day because he wanted to teach them out of what had become for him in an instant an empty space, a space that had once been filled with a young, vibrant, energetic, fun-loving young son had now, in the blink of an eye, been left empty. He wanted to teach his people about the empty space. Not that he called it that, but that's what it was. A part of what Dr. Coffin reflected upon then was, was the well-meaning effort of many to try to fill his empty space. People don't like empty spaces, neither their own nor others. There's something about an empty space that we want to fill. Many, many tried to fill Dr. Coffin's empty space. Some tried to fill it with pithy poems. Some tried to, to fill it with dime store theology. Some tried to fill it by explaining for the pastor the will of God. Some tried to fill it with Bible verses. Some tried to fill it with platitudes. But Dr. Coffin that morning before his congregation of thousands was there to say that the empty space was not theirs to fill. It wasn't, in fact, even his to fill. Almost 50 years ago, a tiny little book got published in England written by an N.W. clerk. It was a book about grief, a grief observed, it was titled, and it was the, the raw firsthand account of the penetrating grief of losing one's spouse. This man, this author, had lost his wife, and the ache was so deep that in the book he questions the presence of God. Where is God when it comes to my empty space? How could God leave me alone to deal with this pain? When you're happy, the author writes, so happy that you have no sense of needing God, so happy that you're tempted to feel his claims upon you as an interruption. If you remember yourself and turn to him with gratitude and praise, you will be, or so it feels, welcomed with open arms. But, he continues, go to him when your need is desperate, when all their help is vain, and what do you find? A door slammed in your face and a sound of bolting and double bolting on the inside. 
Later, the author writes, talk to me about the truth of religion, and I'll listen gladly. Talk to me about the duty of religion, and I'll listen submissively, but don't come to me talking about the consolations of religion, or I shall suspect you don't understand. He was speaking out of the empty space. This N.W. clerk, who was discovered actually to be another person, N.W. clerk was a pseudonym for the real author's name, C.S. Lewis. The real author's grief was the death of his wife, Joy, the real author's soul, an empty space that we cannot fill. Not that we don't try. We try all kinds of things to fill the empty space, ours or theirs. We try keeping busy, we try keeping active, we try an extra drink or two, we try mindless TV, we try eating too much, we try eating too little, we try giving advice. We all know the story of Job, the man who seemed to have it all, but before he knew it, everything was gone, his home, his family, his health, and, and Job was left alone with his empty space. And then come Job's friends, and for 35 chapters, they do their best to try to fill his empty space. They try to make sense of it all, they try to explain it all, they try to find blame and reason for it all, but it's not working. The space isn't getting filled. And then finally, in the 38th chapter of the book, God begins to speak. And finally, God speaks into his empty space. When I was a newly ordained pastor and installed in my first church in Philadelphia, I went to visit an elderly woman whose husband of 55 years had died just a few months before I had arrived as the pastor. I went to see her to see how she was doing and because a few folks had told me that she wasn't doing well. She invited me into her home and we talked for a while and then she asked if I wanted to see Larry's room. Larry was her deceased husband, sure I said. So she took me to Larry's study, and there it was, just as it was when Larry had died. Nothing touched, nothing moved. It was her empty space. I'm not ready, she said. I'm not sure what I exactly told her, but I know it was something trite, like time heals all wounds something that belied my youth and, and experience and discomfort with empty spaces. She patted me on the hand as if to say, you don't understand. I visited her about once every three months and each time she would show me the room unchanged until a year or so later and it was then after we had talked a while that she took me to Larry's study and she pointed out to me that the blanket on Larry's favorite chair and how it was no longer there. She said, you know, I was sitting at breakfast the other day and God spoke to me. He spoke into my empty space and said, it's time, Virginia, it's time. So now I'm starting, she said, and I gave Larry's blanket to my grandson because he would have wanted that. And with every visit afterward, she showed me another change in Larry's room, another way that God has spoken into her empty space. 
So Jesus pays a visit to a well in the middle of Samaria, Jacob's well, and he engages a woman there at the well, a Samaritan woman, in a conversation. Now, there are all sorts of cultural reasons for why Jesus shouldn't be having this conversation with this woman. Men don't talk to women in the first century. Jews don't talk to Samaritans, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But there Jesus is speaking to the Samaritan woman, and they have this interesting conversation around water and buckets and living water and worship and spirit and truth and Jews and Samaritans. And in the middle of it all, Jesus tells her to go get her husband. And she says she has no husband. It is an awkward moment. And, and Jesus speaks into the awkward moment and says, I know. Truth is, you've had five husbands and the man you're living with now is not your husband. And now all of a sudden we see this empty space that this woman has. And the woman responds, sir, I see that you're a prophet. Now the interesting thing about this empty space inside this woman is what history and tradition has tried to fill it with. Jesus tells her that she has this empty space resulting from having been married several times and now she's living with a man without benefit of marriage. And what tradition has done is to fill the empty space by labeling her as an immoral and loose woman. It's easy to fill someone else's empty space with some kind of label. Forget the cause, just call her a sinner. But what we keep forgetting is that a first century Palestinian woman had no say in who she was married to. She had no say in matters of divorce. That was the man's prerogative. Women were property to be claimed and discarded upon a man's whim. So this woman was either a person passed from one man to another or whose husbands had died along the way and had yet to find a man who would remain loyal to her. Her empty space, at the very least, was complicated and painful. It defied a label. It could not be filled by anybody. And so for years, she comes to the well alone with no one who understands. And now today in front of her was the one person who could see it for what it was and speak into it the Jewish rabbi who came to her not with labeling judgment, but with the grace of living water to fill not the bucket in her hand, but the dry well inside her soul, her empty space. Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed? Did he say blessed? We must be careful to know that Jesus does not wish the empty space upon us. Love would never do that. It's just that Jesus knows that to be a human being means we all walk around with one of these, a God-shaped vacuum, as Pascal called it. We all have a place that has been left empty, by the disappointments and failures or death or illness or hurt. We all have that room inside us where we go to mourn. We all have that space that is desperate for comfort. And Jesus says, the comfort will come. 
the comfort will come that God will someday speak into the space. Maybe not today or tomorrow or next month, but God loves you enough to speak into the dry well inside you with an invitation of living water. Water that will quench the thirst of your parched soul. And it likely will not feel like a Hallmark card. It will likely not be like anything we've ever expected. But God will speak in spirit and truth a word that will inhabit the space and in God's mysterious and surprising way will bring comfort. Blessed are those who trust that. Blessed are those who wait for that. Blessed are those who resist the temptation to fill the space, yours or someone else's, with something that brings false comfort or trite formula. Don Wardlaw, a retired professor from McCormick Seminary, tells a story of going to his father's funeral his father was a Presbyterian minister, so at his funeral there were lots of folks who came to tell him of what his father's ministry had meant to them. And one of them was the custodian who had once worked with his father. The man had moved away and, and had returned for the funeral, and he came up to Don and he said, you know, your dad was, was very important and special to me. Oh, I, I know Leon, and, and you were very important to him, Don said. No, 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 you, you don't understand, said Leon. I wouldn't be here today if it weren't for your dad. I wouldn't have made it through that horrible night. What horrible night, Don asked. Well, during the time that your dad was pastor of this church and he and I worked together here, well, you, you probably don't remember this because you were just a little boy, but my, my wife died suddenly. She was just 34 years old. She was hanging out clothes on the line and had a massive heart attack, and she didn't even make it to the hospital. We had four small kids. I'll never forget that day, he said. I was devastated. I was so emotionally drained that I just fell across my bed. I remember lying in that bed, and, and it had gotten dark. And I looked up at one point, and I could see your dad had come into the room and was sitting in a rocking chair beside my bed, rocking. He didn't say a thing. He just sat there, rocking. All night long, I would wake up and I'd reach over to that place where my wife would lay and feel the emptiness and pain would shoot through me like a thousand arrows and I wondered how in the world can I go on? And then out of the corner of my eye, I would see him rocking, rocking. And it was that rocking that helped me get through the night. Blessed are those who mourn, for they 
shall be comforted.
Once again, we remind you to join us next door across the campus and the Campus Center to learn more about what is happening in our life here at Church of the Palms. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with you now and forevermore. Amen. Thank you.